From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. I teach linguistics at Columbia University. And when you have a job like that, people keep asking you, what are you working on lately? And one thing I've been hesitant sometimes to discuss because it's kind of hard to explain is actually something I want to share with my listeners, because really it's one of those little things that teaches something larger that I like so much. So this is going to be a little bit of my research in progress, definitely in progress, that I want to share with you. It's a slice of my life that doesn't involve bad parking or picking out dresses for my daughter. Let's begin it with this. Of course, we have to have a little bit of Broadway. This is from Grey Gardens a little while back. Listen to this clip here. Where were we? One o'clock. Stake the droopy hydrangeas. Two o'clock. Fill the lotus pond. Three o'clock. Lock the cat up in its room. Oh, kitty. Four o'clock. Glaze the salmon in aspic. Five o'clock. Crack the crab on ice with the privet pruned and manicured. And my daughter's future well assured. Grey gardens will be decked out in its pride. So for those of you who know Grey Gardens, that's Big Edie when she's still young. And there are people singing in the background. For example, the ones who say, poor kitty. You know, one of those women, one of those young women is Sarah Hyland as a girl playing Jackie Bouvier later to be Kennedy. Now, Grey Gardens is one of my top 10 favorite Broadway shows. I know a lot of you have no reason to care about that, but that was an icebreaker because you know Sarah Hyland better as the adorably scatterbrained Haley on the almost oddly long-running sitcom Modern Family. And that gets us to what this podcast is really going to be about. At first, it's going to seem just kind of random. Here is something that Sarah Hyland, as Haley, just randomly said in a random episode from what is now the middle of the run. Listen to her say you have room. Here's that napkin you wanted. I got the mail! Would it have killed you to give me one without ketchup on it? Move. You have room. No, move out. You're 40. Okay, that's enough. Room. Okay, well, it just sounds like some little affectation. But, you know, that's something that girls, if I may use that word, are doing a lot these days. I started hearing it among young women at Columbia University, where I teach. And the first time I heard a young woman do it, I thought, hmm, That's a little odd. But then again, I feel it as normal. I must be hearing this all the time. And what she had said was that something was good. And I thought, you know what? It's not going to be just the word good. And it's not going to be just that woman. I think that that uh has become a thing. And so I started listening around to women and the way they were pronouncing things, especially when exclaiming in situations like that. And I started noticing what I'm beginning to think is a new thing in language. This is how linguists hear language. This is our soundscape. So it's not just some random thing that Haley slash Sarah Hyland did in that one episode of Modern Family, because, of course, let's go to, as we should, Broad City. And so you listen to Abby and Alana, they do it too. So, for example, listen to how Abby says, I'm becoming a man. Okay, yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm becoming a man! See, same thing. 
And for those of you who watch the show, play those women speaking in your ear. And you might realize that Abby and Alana do this a thing all the time. It's both of them. Is it just them? Actually, no. Let's listen to someone else. Let's go to Community, a show that scratches a similar itch, has demographically similar, maybe related people. Listen to, of course, we're going to use Allison Bree's Annie. Listen to the way she says, if I may, you turd. You forgive us? Absolutely. You turd. I beg your pardon? Turd. Now, you know, I could go on and on. You know, I could. You often listen to me do it. I'm not going to do it now yet, but it's not conscious. Ruma is certainly not the way it was written in the script. Turda is not what was in the script. It was room. It was turd. This is something that the actresses themselves are doing subconsciously when playing those characters. One would guess I would put almost all of my money on the idea that the actresses themselves do this uh, when speaking spontaneously. It's something that's below the radar, and that's exactly where language change so often happens. So it's clear that those actresses were not planning to do this for their characters. And more to the point, it's not just performance. It's not something that actors are doing. And so you might think, because Sarah Hyland began on the stage and Abby and Alana began as improv performers. I think Alison Brie is pure Hollywood, although you know that in about 15 years she's probably going to do some Broadway play. But you might think, well, maybe it's stage training. Besides the fact that body mics these days have changed how people are often trained to speak on the stage, there's the fact that People do this not just when they're in character, but when they're out of character. So, for example, you would just imagine, some of you have already probably thought, does Aubrey Plaza do this? Because here's another woman of this age and demographic and context. Well, let's listen to her not as April, who did do this on Parks and Recreation, but as just Aubrey Plaza playing her deadpan self. She did a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me back last summer. And first, listen to her say, okay, here, in just a neutral tone, rather than in exclamation. So the movie you're in, The Little Hours, opening here in Chicago this weekend, um, I'm going to let you describe this film. Okay, it's called The Little Hours, and it's based on the Decameron. And now, listen to her in a narration where things are funnier, where there are exclamation points in the air, where she's trying to make a point. Listen to how okay comes out here. This role was written for you by the director of the film, who is your partner, right? That's right. So he says to you, honey, I have got a great idea for a part. I would like you to play a ni- an axe-wielding profane, foul-mouthed, sexually rapacious, pagan, uh, Satan-worshipping, possibly none. And you say... I said, okay, what are we having for dinner? (laughs) And see, she wasn't thinking of that. That's not something she knew she was doing. It wasn't a script. It wasn't April Ludgate. It was just Aubrey Plaza. She just does that. This uh thing is interesting. It's used, from what I hear, in contexts of joy or surprise, or dramatic announcement. It highlights, or even with frustration. So, you know, you have room. 
it underlines and it just comes out spontaneously. Now, this is what's important. I am not making fun of this. I don't think this is ridiculous. I don't think it's cute. I think it's just new. And because it's new, at least I think it's new, I find it interesting. I think it's a really neat thing, including in ways that it patterns. What does he mean by ways that it patterns? I'll get to that. But first of all, we have to understand what this might be is what you could call an exclamatory particle, a borning. What is an exclamatory particle? In many languages, when you exclaim, then that is an occasion for having some little bit of stuff after the sentence. And I mean speaking, not our exclamation point in writing, but language as speaking. So let's pick a language just out of the air. There is a language spoken in Togo and Benin in Africa. It's called Fongbe. And if you want to say something like just go, well, then you might say ye. Okay. But if you want to say something like go, almost like go, then what you say in Fongbei is ye. Oh, and that oh is an exclamatory particle. It's something like oh in a lot of West African languages, as a matter of fact, or something like good old Mandarin. There are not only particles that you can use after sentences in Mandarin, but they're little things that I don't sense people think about, but that are kind of similar to this move that we're hearing. So, for example, all you need, I'm not going to try to give you little Mandarin lessons. I'm undergoing that, and that's hard enough. But what you need to know is that the word for you is ni. There you go. So, ni. Now, you're going to hear somebody say with you, with the police, except it's going to be in Chinese and you know what the word for you is. Listen to the way the guy says it. Do you notice how it was? That's not something you would write. It's just how it comes out with that word for you. That is not just this rather strange man. Listen again. So the word for you in Mandarin, if you only ever learn one other than ni hao, well, there you go. That's you. Ni. So listen to this person saying, hey, you. And you can imagine how hey comes out and you know what the word for you is. Hey. Yeah. It just kind of comes out. It's a little gesture. I have asked one speaker about this and she had no blessed idea what I was talking about. It's just part of speaking native Mandarin. These things just kind of arise. Good. Move. It's just language as it happens. All of a sudden, all of these young women are becoming Chinese. Very interesting little trait. So exactly what is the distribution of this? Well, I have heard this primarily in, to use the technical term for the dialect, white girl. That's not the technical term. Really, we're talking about the elusive thing known as mainstream American. And this white girl dialect, of course, covers people of all shades. I have heard it all over the West Coast. I have heard it all over the Northeast and somewhat downward. I don't spend enough time in the Midwest to know exactly. I have not heard it used by a person speaking black English. That is, I have heard black women use it who were speaking mainstream English. I haven't heard it in black English. I heard it one time down by ground zero when a woman I'm almost sure was Latina 
was speaking in that similarly elusive thing known as the New Yorican dialect that one time. Yes, I do take down examples of this Henry Higgins style. I walk around writing them down in my phone. Henry Higgins, it's that role. I'll never, I've said this before, I'll never be allowed to play it, despite the fact that I am that man. I'm I'm middle-aged, I'm slightly obnoxious, I'm sarcastic, I'm set in my ways, but nope, I'll never get to play him, but I can pretend in that I walk around taking down examples of this uh thing. I've got hundreds at this point. Something else about this female exclamatory particle. A paragogy is one technical term you could use, although that sounds like either some kind of Slavic dumpling or a way of killing somebody, but paragogy. So it's not just the United States. And you know how I know? Well, one way that I know that I can demonstrate to you is that you can hear it in Canada, which I can give to you through the example of the Alexis character on Schitt's Creek. Funny sitcom with SCTV veterans. I'll say, as I've mentioned before, the only reason I watched that show is because one of you wrote to me and suggested that I do. I lost your name, but thank you very much. It is one of the joys of my life. But you can listen to Annie Murphy's Alexis doing the uh all the time. And she is a Canadian actress who, from what I can tell on Wikipedia, has spent her life and career in Canada. Listen to her say, babe. Well, we're staying at the Clarendon Executive Suites and Apartments downtown. Got upgraded. Does that mean room service? Yeah. Babe! Also, I'm making it sound like it's always young women. That is not completely the case. I have caught it in some women where young would not happen to be an adjective you would use, although there are many others. And so, for example, Valerie Bertinelli, who by my guess, I haven't looked it up, but she's in her 50s because I think she's probably a little older than me. And I've grown up watching her, remember her from one day at a time. But her last series, I think, was the truly delightful Hot in Cleveland. I mean, if you If you enjoy a good ham and cheese sandwich, you would enjoy this undersung show. It's like the Golden Girls for today. You know, how bad could that be? Valerie Bertinelli was in it, and she would do the occasional uh with the word no. So listen to this episode where she does it. Catch up. (laughs) Hamburger. No. Melanie, the word is salt. Now, as these things go... She may represent the beginning of a trend because one hypothesis that I'm working with is that this may have begun with no. It may have begun with the word no. And that's what she says. But the age thing is interesting because it's not only women who are, say, 35 and under who you hear doing this. For example, on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, a show that I've loved greatly all of the third season, frankly, either I'm, I'm losing a certain amount of insight or they kind of slipped. But I'll stick with it for another season. But Donna Lynn Champlin is 47. She uhs all over the place. Now, either it means that she happened to be an early adopter and she was doing it before it was so common because, of course, you have to start somewhere and things often start slowly and then pick up. Or people's speech changes throughout their life and Donalyn Champlin may happen to be a language sponge sort of person who picked it up from women a little younger than her as she went through her wonderful career on what used to be called stage and screen. Or Judy Greer, 
does it as well. I've heard her do it as Cheryl Tunt when she voices the Archer character. Judy Greer from my sources, as if I have any but Wikipedia, is 42. So that's a little older than I expect to hear it. But then again, I have never heard anybody 70 do it. And yes, I've listened. I walk down the street and I will see some elderly women and I will listen to their conversation, (laughs) seeing if they go up. And they don't, unless they mean something like, uh, let's go in and, you know, buy an umbrella or something like that. But that's quite different. Now, I think that even if people were doing this a bit in, say, the 80s, that what's new is that it's become so prevalent. And of course, the way that you check this is it's difficult, but you need to see whether people were doing it in the past. Now, I don't have a time machine. And so I can't go back and check. And it's the sort of thing where if you look back and you try to remember how people sounded, you weren't really thinking about this. And so it's hard to say definitely that nobody was saying move in 1979. I had other things on my mind than paragogy at the time. But you can look at people speaking as recorded in the past where you have to look for cases where today you would expect and uh, and there isn't one. So this sort of thing is tricky, and it's not absolutely watertight, but it's worth doing. And so, for example, one goes back to the Clueless movie, 1995. These are young women. The plot often has them excited or frustrated in various ways. And yet, you didn't get the uhs, to my knowledge. And so, for example, here's Alicia Silverstone. And at one point she says, ew, as if. Listen to this. A lot of people have this movie memorized, but in case you don't, here is the passage. I don't know why Dion's going out with a high school boy. They're like dogs. You have to clean them and feed them. and They're just like these nervous creatures that jump and slobber all over you. Ew, get off of me. Ugh, as if. Almost certainly. If that movie were remade today with Sarah Hyland, you just know that if they use the same script, it would be as if you just know that's how she would read the line subconsciously. But Alicia Silverstone didn't because it was a different era or and I'm sure some of you are already on this Mean Girls. Did the Mean Girls do the uh thing? Here is Rachel McAdams and that extraordinary performance as Regina George. Listen to her say shut up. In that early scene where she's about to start torturing a strangely kind of clean cut looking Lindsay Lohan. That movie was longer ago than I like to think. But here we go. So you've actually never been to a real school before? Shut up. She then says shut up again. Shut up. Now in 2018 E's, I would expect that to be shut up. And the reason I would expect that is because that's what you get on, for example, Jane the Virgin. So listen to Gina Rodriguez's reading of her line as Jane in one scene where she's being flirtatiously contrary with I forget who the man is at that point. But listen to the shut up. Mom, I love you. I love you, too. Thought you said it was cheesy. It is. Shut up. (laughs) One more. I'm going to go way back to a show where you would expect us. And I'm pretty sure you don't get one. Square Pegs was thought to be very smart back in the early 80s. It was about 
geeks, nerds. You didn't get that as much then. And so it seemed quite fresh. Goodness, it seems canned when you watch it now. But at the time, this was as razor sharp as Broad City. That's how it felt. It was with Sarah Jessica Parker. She's like negative four years old. And here is, I think it's the second episode. And her friend, I forget who played this friend, comes running out and calls her. Wait up. Okay, innocent enough, but wouldn't you almost expect it to be wait up today? But no, it's just wait up because it's 1982. It's Reagan. It's a different time. Or listen to Jamie Gertz in her immortal performance as Muffy Tepperman on this show doing a whole little speech where you can just imagine that today it would have some us in it because she's so flamboyant, because she's putting herself out there. All right, people. No pushing. Now line up. I am only one person. Stagehands, green cards. Ticket sellers, blue cards. Acting hopefuls, pink cards. Oh, people, legible, see bouquet. So this thing is real. It's really around. And I think that its prevalence these days is new. And here is one of the reasons why it kind of grabs me and it won't let go, as trivial as it may sound. This is something that I find interesting about it. It's an example of the fact that when language changes, it tends to be women who lead the change, not men and not everybody, but women. Now, there is a caveat here. If there's something that men do more than women then it tends to be something that's considered kind of substandard or vulgar. That's where men tend to be different. And so, for example, I've talked on this show about R-less dialect, corner instead of corner. That, when it was New Yorkese, for example, was always more prominent among men than women. So it was men who were going to be slangy in that way, whereas the women were going to be more buttoned up. Perfect example and also allows me, for those of you who are beginning to itch, to do a little bit of Broadway. If you like Bilko, then you would be surprised how much you would enjoy the cast album of Top Banana. This is Phil Silvers, who did a Broadway show in 1951 that was essentially Bilko with stupid and wonderful songs. Rosemarie, the late, great Rosemarie, who many of us will remember as Sally on the Dick Van Dyke show, played a character kind of like that in Top Banana. And the cast album still exists. It's in very good sound for 1951. And more to the point. Phil Silvers and Rosemarie were both New Yorkers. Silvers is Brooklyn, Rosemarie somewhere in Manhattan. They're about the same age, but listen to the contrast in the way they talked. They did a duet together called A Word a Day. And first, just listen to the opening dialogue. And you have Phil Silvers, words, article, they got. He's a vernacular Kind of guy. Hear this? Look, kid, words are not important. Did you ever hear of the Reader's Digest? Oh, sure. They got an article in there called A Word a Day. Mm-hmm. Learn those words, you're as smart as anybody else. That's fine, but you have to know the meaning of the words. I know the meaning of the words. You do? All right, wise guy. Here's the dictionary. Try me. All right. Appreciate. Appreciate. Notice that Rosemarie doesn't say disappear. She says disappear. She's very awful. 
same context, same social class, similar life to Phil Silvers, and yet she's more standard. Caricature in China's a cab to disappear when the waiter brings the tab. Listen when she sings. She doesn't sing about words. She sings about words. She doesn't say picture company. She says a picture company. That's pretty good. Now try me. Okay. To underrate. To underrate. That's a word insurance salesmen use most. What's tantamount? Tantamount? That's a picture company out on the coast. A lexicon. Lexicon. That's a big hotel the east side of The reason for that may be partly because of differences in temperament, but for those of you who know the two of them, there there wasn't much. They were the same person, kind of like Paul Lind and Alice Ghostly. It was that Rosemarie was female and Phil Silvers wasn't. And so there's that kind of difference. But when the change is something subconscious, something that just kind of creeps in, it's women who tend to be the ones who do it first. And so, for example, we all know how you had the th in the third person singular way, way, way back. And so kisseth instead of kisses, it changes to kisses. Nobody's ever been exactly sure why that happens. It's a delicious mystery. But what we do know is that it's women who led in starting to use s rather than th. Go figure. So Henry Eighth writes to Anne Boleyn, 1528, written with the hand of him which desireth as much to be yours as you do to have him. Okay. Then Queen Elizabeth, to whom he was related quite directly, 1591, writes, my dear brother, as there is not that breeds, not breedeth, breeds more forethinking repentance and aggrieved thoughts than good turns to harm the giver's aid, blah, 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 blah. Queen Elizabeth uses more s, whereas her father used more th. It was tipping. She was a woman. Women tend to be ahead. It's a funny thing. And you might ask the question, well, why do women lead? You could also ask the question, why do men hold back? Is there something in men that's afraid to be verbally creative? Or are we not in touch with our inner selves? Like, what's wrong with men? I don't know. But women tend to be ahead for reasons that nobody has completely figured out. But here's one more wrinkle. And I'm, I'm going into some ticklish territory, but frankly, this would not be complete without it in 2018. There is research that's now been done, lots of it and very interesting on gay male speech. And the idea that gay men talk like women is, of course, a myth. That is not what gay male speech is. It's something much more complicated than that. However, there is some overlap if there's a difference between how many gay men speak and many straight men speak. If there's a difference, then there is an overlap between what gay male speech consists of and what female speech consists of. And this thing is within that area of overlap. And so, for example, here's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Again. This is Mo Rocca. Mo Rocca is openly gay. And listen to him say kids poop too. This is a family show, (laughs) people. Kids poop too. (laughs) In all the time that I've been obsessing over this little exclamatory particle, I have yet to hear a man I knew was straight or had reason to think was straight using this. It's women, and I have heard many other gay men do it. Very interesting how these things are, because once again, it's subconscious. Nobody is thinking about this except sick, 
obsessive on sabbatical me. And yet it actually patterns. This is how language changes. And so first of all, the subconscious part, it really, all these things are happening. Also random. Who would think? It's not that women are more exclamative now than they used to be. I don't remember women when I was in college walking around saying move but I definitely remember them exclaiming about many things. They were excited in their eyes, hot sweaters and Jordache jeans. They were exclaiming. And yet, for some reason, now this little exclamatory particle is a warning. Often in language change, the proper analogy is not with some cultural thing. It might be some cultural thing, but just as often and frankly, more often, it's about soup. If you are having some soup on the stove and you're waiting for it to get hot, well, where's the first bubble going to come up? You don't know. And I mean, if you could know, would you really want to know? Imagine somebody who would be in a position to tell you about the thermodynamics or something that would tell you where the bubble came up. Would it really feel like a reason? No, there's an element of chance. And then that one bubble's going to come up. And then somewhere else, there's going to be a bubble. And frankly, you just have to enjoy the bubbles. That's how language change works. Some languages are going to you know, split things into genders meaninglessly. Some languages are going to have crazy words word order, depending on whether something is a subordinate or a matrix clause. Some languages are in the present tense, only going to have a marker in the third person singular. S, that's English. There's not another language in the world like that. You never know where the bubble is going to pop up. Listen to this commercial, by the way. 1939. It's from an episode of Amos and Andy. A strange listen in general, but yes, one, at least I listen to such things. This is for something that was relatively new. It's Campbell's Cream of Mushroom Soup. Notice how good they make it sound. Listen to this. Even the smooth, rich look of its creamy surface tempts their appetites. And they find its flavor so delightful that they soon put Campbell's Cream of Mushroom among the dishes they like best. It's a blending of fresh, sweet cream, heavier even than whipping cream, and young, cultivated mushrooms. Mushroom flavor fills every spoonful. Mushroom slices abound all through. Don't you want to just go have some? And yet it's the same nasty soup that today you're ashamed to admit to anybody that you use in any recipe. But back then they could make it sound like some kind of god. In any case, hive mind out there. Please let me know. This can be like this Lucy Hay thing where I didn't expect such a response. On this one, I'm actually going into it thinking maybe there'll be a response. How far back have you heard this usage of a? Uh? Did it start with no what, which is something that I'm guessing? Give me your hypotheses as to how and where this may have started. Hive mind. We can create something here. But I just find this so delicious, just like these special mushrooms, and I hope that you will too. And very quickly, letters. I got one last night from Terry McLean, and I decided I get so many of these that it's time to let you all know that you're not alone. Versus, yes, versus is becoming a verb among children. I haven't heard it, but apparently kids engaged in sports ball are saying things like, hey, who are we versing today? And they mean, who are we going to be playing? Who are we going to be versus? So, hey, who are we versing today? Or, hey, hey, the last time we versed that team, versed as in versus. That's language change, too. And no, folks, you're not alone. Somebody gives me that one every week. I had never heard about it, but it is absolutely 
fascinating. Yes, in any case, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at slate.com <laughs> to listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out. Go to slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. Mike Volo patiently dredged up all those clips for today's show such that I did not ask him to play what a game from ragtime behind that business about the versing and I will not ask him and I remain yours truly John McWhorter Breathless Well I shake all over and you know why I'm sure it's love honey that's no lie Cause when you call my name You know I'm boring like a wooden flame You leave me Breathless Do you want to escape into someone else's problems for a while? Slate's Dear Prudence is the podcast for you. Each week, the hilarious and insightful Mallory Ortberg and a guest tackle real-life problems from the outrageous to the everyday. Find it every Tuesday at slate.com slash dearprudence or wherever you get your podcasts.